Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm going to go on a bit of a rant today, and I hope you'll be okay with that. Well, you're tuning in, so you you have no choice but to be okay with it. Um, I have to admit that one of the things that has been extremely frustrating to me, um, not, not just in a pastoral capacity, but just in a personal capacity as I watch and read Christian perspectives on matters that are affecting our culture and are affecting our church is a willingness of many who claim the name of Christ to modify the words and the commands of Christ in order to accommodate sin. And, you know, when you state it that way, it seems, well, how could anybody do that? How could anybody do that? Well, people do that in a number of ways. And right now, the biggest way or the most prominent way that people are doing that is by attributing to Jesus some idea or the, the teaching that he didn't, he didn't say anything negative about homosexual marriage or homosexual relationships. And basically, this is an argument from silence. Like, well, Jesus didn't condemn it, so it must be okay. And Paul wasn't Jesus, and so Paul's words aren't as weighty as Jesus's words. Therefore, we should follow what Jesus says and not what Paul says. And I know that this argument, it, it flows out of a, a type of logic that wants to elevate the words of Jesus above all the other commands in Scripture. And what it also seeks to do is to say, yes, see, Jesus was really this loving guy, and he cared about everybody, and he wanted to affirm and accept everybody. Well, that, my friends is what is known as an anachronistic perspective on Jesus. Anachronism is reading back into history something from the present day. And so because the current popular thinking is to be affirming and accepting people who Maybe well-meaning. I don't even know what their motives are. I don't even want to to judge their motives because that's I can't do that. All I can do is judge their their words. People are wanting to make Jesus into somebody who was affirming and accepting of everybody, and so they place a great weight on the silence of Jesus regarding, for instance, this issue of homosexuality, and they elevate Jesus's words above those of Paul. Now, where am I going with this? Where am I going? I think that it is disingenuous to say that you love Jesus, but yet you want to make Jesus affirm what is plainly declared to be sin in the scriptures. So I love the Jesus that affirms my sin. But I don't know if I love the Jesus that condemns my sin. I don't if if Jesus spoke the words of Paul, would I 
love Jesus? People want to have this idea of Jesus, that he was, you know, this great friend of sinners. And by being a friend of sinners, it means that he tolerated them, he affirmed them, he understood their weaknesses, and he allowed them to kind of like live in sin, but he was still buddy-buddy with them. Now, when the Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners, what that means is that Jesus came alongside people who are sinners, which, which is honestly everybody who's ever lived. Jesus came alongside sinners and he said to them, there is a way for you to escape not only the power of sin, but the penalty of sin. And it's through me. All right, so Jesus was a friend to sinners, not in that he endorsed their behavior or affirmed their behavior, but in that he provided a way of escape so that you didn't have to live under the power of sin and you didn't have to face the penalty of sin. That's what it means for Jesus to be a friend of sinners. But progressive Christianity today has got this all wrong. And progressive Christianity has infiltrated the evangelical church and the evangelical movement and there is a, a major schism that is happening within the evangelical church. And there are those on one side who are saying, well, we love Jesus and Jesus loves everybody. Therefore, go ahead and practice your sin. We're just going to redefine what sin is. We're going to redefine what uh, activities are pleasing to the Lord. And they are redefining it not according to biblical definitions, but they are redefining it according to cultural definitions. My friends, this is not right. And if you're saying that you love Jesus, I have to ask you, how much do you really love Jesus? Do you love Jesus enough to speak the truth about the whole counsel of the word of God? You know, here's what Jesus himself said. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and see, there people will go. They'll make this argument. Well, well, Pastor Jonathan, Jesus never commanded against homosexuality. Okay, fine. You want to go there? Let's go there. What does it mean to keep the commandments of Jesus? In fact, what are the commandments of Jesus is probably a more fundamental question that should be asked first. Well, from the Jewish tradition and all of Christian history, we have recognized that Jesus is the very embodiment of the Word of God, and the Word of God contains the commandments of God. And you can't separate one part of the Word of God from another part of the Word of God. You have to take all of it together. Jesus himself is the Word of God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. Excellent. We agree. But then you go down to John chapter 1, verse 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the very word of God, the commandments of God, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and dwelt among us. Now, obviously, this is the Apostle John writing. 
and he's writing from his perspective as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as somebody who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, worked with Jesus. He was somebody who spent a great amount of time with Jesus. And so the us doesn't mean the entire church. The us is specifically referring to those men who were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the Word of God, then every commandment that is in the Word of God has been endorsed by Jesus Christ. Think about that. Every commandment in the Word of God has been endorsed by Jesus Christ. And so there's no escaping or separating what Paul said from what Jesus said or from what Peter said and what Jesus said or even from what Jesus said versus what was said in the Old Testament, in the books of the law, like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. No, if Jesus is the Word of God and the Word became flesh, then Jesus endorsed the entire canon of Scripture. All of it. The best parts, the parts that we love, the parts that we idealize, the parts that we strive to, And he also endorsed and commanded the parts that, eh, they're hard to accept. They're difficult to understand. They make us scratch our head and say, oh, now why did did he have to do that? Unfortunately, too many Christians treat the word of God like a bag of jelly beans. Let me explain what I mean. You know, a bag of jelly beans has all kinds of different flavors. And everybody has their favorite flavor and everybody has their least favorite flavor. Most people, when they get a bag of jelly beans, will eat their favorite flavors and they'll leave their least favorite flavors in the bag or they'll give them to somebody else. That's how most Christians treat the Bible. They accept, they acknowledge, they idealize, and they try to live out their favorite parts or their favorite commands in the Word of God. But those parts of the Bible and those commands which make them uncomfortable, which maybe would cause them to be separate from society, uh, to be looked down upon if they were to hold those things, Christians, a lot of Christians will say, you know, I'm not really sure if that's in the Bible or not. You know, we, we can't really verify that translation. We can't really... Uh, be certain that that's really what God wanted them to do. and Or we make this other excuse, well, that worked for, you know, the first century, or that worked back in Moses' time, but we're so much more enlightened now. We're so much more capable now. We're so much smarter now. We don't have to follow that anymore. Now, granted, granted, in Christ, the Levitical law has been fulfilled, and it has been done away with. So those who are Christians no longer are responsible to fulfill the Levitical law. But there is a law that Christians must abide by, and it is the law that is written in the New Testament. It is explained in the letters of Paul, in the letters of Peter, in the letters of John and the Gospel of John. That is the law that we must obey and practice as Christians. And I submit to you that the law in the New Testament is far more specific and explicit in what we must do in terms of moral conduct than the Old Testament law. Think about that. It's totally disingenuous 
if Jesus is the Word of God, and if Jesus is the Word made flesh, to then say, well, we only have to follow the parts of the Bible that are the actual words of Jesus. No, that's ridiculous. If Jesus is the Word of God, and he is the Word made flesh, then the entire Bible is the Word of Jesus. The entire Bible should be printed in red. And you should be understanding that everything in the Bible is is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for rebuke, and for training in righteousness. That's what Paul says. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for all of those things. So forgive me if I seem a bit perturbed because I am perturbed. I'm perturbed because there are many Christians and the general conversation of in the Christian community right now is about creating a Jesus that's made in our own image instead of worshiping and obeying the Jesus who has already been spelled out clearly for us in the scriptures. We've done no better than pagans when we take Jesus and recreate him in our image and we attribute to him characteristics and qualities that are not true, that are not accurate. We are no better than pagans. You know, we use the name Jesus, but we've really just made a false god. And so, Christian, I need to ask you, how much do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus enough to affirm everything that Jesus commanded and then to practice it? Or do you only love Jesus a little bit? And you only want a little bit of the hard truths that Jesus spoke. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commands. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I reject, from a theological perspective, the idea of Christian perfectionism. Christians are not perfect people. They are people who are undergoing the process of sanctification. What that means is that we are, through the power of Christ, learning to sin less and act more like our Savior, Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we've arrived. It doesn't mean that we're any better than anybody else. What we are is different because we've been transformed by the power of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we've been given a new heart, and a we are new creatures in Christ. Unlike those who are unbelievers, who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who are unable to discern spiritual truth, who are under the power of Satan, who is called in Ephesians chapter 2, the prince of the power of the air, we are different than them. So why, why if we are different than them, do we want to endorse a Jesus who would affirm the sins that they also affirm? That doesn't make sense to me. I know it makes sense to some Christians, but it doesn't make sense to me. And I think that if you're a real Christian, if you are truly born again and you are affirming doctrines that are contrary to the word of God, I don't believe you'll lose your salvation, but you could certainly lose your rewards on the day of judgment. 
And you will have to stand before Jesus Christ one day and answer for the way that you have perverted the word of Christ. Now I recognize this is a great challenge. And in the contemporary culture that we live, there is a phenomenon that is ongoing and it is intensifying and it will only continue to intensify. And that phenomenon is known as cancel culture, whereby if you don't affirm and agree with the current progressive, liberal, I would say satanic idea about how life ought to be lived, then you will get canceled. What does it mean to be canceled? It means you could lose your job. It means you could lose your reputation. It means that uh, you could, you know, at the very least lose your, your internet account. I have friends who are believers who have had their internet accounts, like a Facebook account and Twitter. They've been suspended for speaking truth. I'm not talking about truth in a political context, like I'm not even thinking in terms of election truth or anything like that. I don't have anything to do with those arguments. I'm a pastor. I have to do with arguments concerning the one and only truth that will save a person's soul from eternal condemnation. So I know people who, because of their stance on the word of God, have had a Twitter account suspended or a Facebook account suspended. They've been dealing with these things on a regular basis. That tells us something. It tells us that if you really love Jesus and you have a public voice, if you're a well-known person in our culture, somebody will come and try to cancel you. You will face persecution. And my friends, we shouldn't even be surprised at this. Look, Paul writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution is coming, my friends. Persecution is coming. And we, I think, are, are kind of wimpy as Christians in America. We're wimpy. We don't even like when our family disagrees with us. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we as Christians are willing to compromise the word of God if it will maintain family harmony and family unity. Christians will put family ahead of Christ. Now, if you want to know what Christ has to say about this, because, you know, we're talking about the words of Jesus being the most important words, elevating the words of Christ, making sure that they're their priority. Here's what Jesus says about compromising truth to please family. Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Why is that? Because the words of Jesus separate truth from untruth. The words of Jesus separate light from darkness. When you follow the commands of Christ, you will be different. You will be unpopular. 
and you might even be unpopular in your own family. But don't fear. Don't fear. If you've taken a stand for truth, if you've loved Jesus enough to go against your family, guess what? Jesus says you are worthy of being his disciple. But if you don't love Jesus enough to go against your family, if you're going to compromise the words of Christ in order to save face in your family, you're not worthy of Jesus. These these words come from the very mouth of Christ himself. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus says this, He who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. My friends, how much do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus enough to choose him over the biggest desires of your heart? Satan is a crafty enemy. He's been deceiving people for over 6,000 years. And Satan certainly knows what the desires of your heart are. Satan knows what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are. He will give you anything that you want in order to get you to stop serving Jesus. He will. Satan will give you anything you want to get you to stop serving Jesus. If you have not done so, I would highly recommend reading The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Though it is a fictional account, I believe it is a a well-reasoned and accurate depiction of the type of work that demons do in the lives of everyday, average, ordinary people to try to get them to choose anything but God. I think one of the responses that we ought to have to a challenge like this is to ask ourselves this question. What sins do I tolerate in my own life that cause me to choose sin over Jesus? What sins do I tolerate? What sins am I not willing to give up so that I can have that pleasure and yet also have Jesus? My friend, though the temptations we face right now are great, though the desires of the flesh are powerful, I submit to you that nothing, nothing on this earth will be so good or so rewarding as that moment when you stand before Christ and you're able to say to him, Jesus, I resisted temptation because I loved you more than my sin. And you can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's true. We need to resist temptation. And God has given us the power to do it. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, enabling us, empowering us, encouraging us, convicting us in our hearts to not sin. My friends, if you have asked personally, what sin do I tolerate while claiming to love Jesus? 
I think we ought to take one step back and say, is there a sin that is tolerated in my church or in the church at large while we claim to love Jesus? I think there are some sins that we tolerate or that we allow or that we endorse in order to claim to love Jesus. We want to have one hand in Jesus's hand and one hand in the world's hand. But we can't do that. A kingdom divided cannot stand. You need to be all in on Jesus and all in on Jesus's commands and all in on standing for truth or you're all out. Now, I recognize that there is a tension to be resolved. The tension is, I still sin. Yeah, that's true. That's what Romans 7 is all about. Paul's struggle with sin. But how does he conclude? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say, hey, it's okay to struggle with sin and keep doing it. Paul says, no, try to strive against it. You're no longer enslaved to it, so stop presenting your members to it. Don't do that anymore. And Paul says, ultimately, you will have victory because there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Paul says, because you have Christ and because you've received grace, that is no longer an excuse to continue sinning. God's not going to be like, well, you know, I'm more powerful than all your sins and my grace is going to cover all your sins, so go ahead and keep sinning. Do what you want. I'll cover that. I'll take care of that. No, 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 no. No. God, from the moment of the exodus and leading the people of Israel out into the wilderness from Egypt to the moment that God provided an exodus for you, leading you out of a light, a life of darkness into a life of being in the light, God has required one thing of his people that they be holy as he is holy, that they not sin like God does not sin. God obviously recognizes that we are in the process of sinning less. That's why he says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we ask for forgiveness. But to be a Christian to be a lover of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, means that you are going to choose to obey the commandments of Jesus whether you love them or whether you loathe them. And hopefully, you come to love all of his commandments because you will see in the word of God the very person of Jesus Christ himself. My friend, You cannot have an a la carte perspective on following the commands of Jesus and claim to love Jesus. So I ask, how much do you love Jesus? Enough to do everything he asks? Or only a little bit? Only as much as it benefits you, but doesn't challenge you too much. I don't know, I can't answer the question for that. But I gotta tell you, My friends, we are going to have to make this decision very soon in our society. How much do you love Jesus? How much do you love Jesus?